Hey there, bud. Coming back, America. How's your Deutsche? Your German, America? Let's see here. Team member heard abuse claims worsen as new damnation claims launched. Death accuser abuse celebs. Huh. Okay, that is on uh, um, that umbrella guy. Oh, this is this is live right now. That's where you get into the, uh, that's where you get into the accusations. So these accounts. Now, the reason why, see, this is what interests me. Hundred dollars, somebody give a hundred dollars or shit. I get it. That's how I gotta start to do. I gotta start to, to do stuff like this. Stuff. Eventually, eventually, I'm gonna go Later. live. Former DOJ prosecutor Judge Cannon appears to be following instructions directly from Trump on Fox. And here's the proof. Florida federal judge Eileen Cannon issued an unusual order on Monday striking a routine filing by special counsel Jack Smith and requesting Trump's co-defendants in the Mar-a-Lago Lardo document case, file a brief on the propriety of Jack Smith presenting evidence to a Washington, D.C. grand jury while the criminal case was filed and pending in the Southern District of Florida Federal Courts. None of the parties raised the issue in any legal filing, so where did it come from, and why is Judge Cannon raising this legally infirm line of inquiry now? Uh, this is, oh, this is on MidasTouch.com. Must be registered to watch. Oh, shit. Continue. Oh, man. Midas Trista, how about that? Midas Trista. Oh, man. Correct. Oh, oh, it's the email address. Okay. Oh no, shit. Membership activation, one dollar. Your credit, well, shit. What? I have to charge for this? You charge for this? Fuck that. Okay. You watch it for free on YouTube. Okay. Um. Anyway. So we actually already covered, I already covered that in a previous podcast. I cover everything that the Midas Touch channel on YouTube publishes, including K- KFA, Karen Friedman, Agni Pilo, and Michael Popak, who follows me on Twitter. Thank you, Michael Popak, for asking, for thanking me for running for president. That, that made my day. 
Anyway, so this is a contempt charge that Elon Musk got for not complying with uh, Jack Smith subpoena for Trump data, Twitter data. Trump's lawyers at Walt's free January of 2023, special counsel Jack Smith subpoenaed Twitter, now called X, which at that time had been recently acquired by Elon Musk. And special counsel Jack Smith was asking for all information relating to Donald Trump's Twitter activity and most likely to try to... I wonder if Elon... Donald Trump's post authenticated, but perhaps to also look at... Actually gave all the data. ...usage and metadata. So special counsel Jack Smith served that subpoena in January of 2023 along with a non-disclosure order, which the district court judge at that time granted overseeing... How much you want to bet Elon told Trump? ...which at that time had not yet indicted, only indicted, of course... Or maybe not, I don't know. ...very recently. That federal judge is named... Can't trust that dude, a fucking... ...who agreed... I thought they were they were, um, allies. And I... Learns that Elon donated to Republican uh, campaigns in the past. So I was very surprised when recently I found out that Elon Musk voted for Biden. And also, this is this is cool. This um, he said that he wanted a normal person to run. He, he he's not supporting Trump. Um, which is a shocker. And he also said that he was giving 20 to $25 million to a candidate, a normal person, I guess. So I, uh, I tweeted him and said, hey, can I be your candidate? And I haven't heard anything. So probably not, but because um, I've been kind of critical <laughs> of him too. But I mean, you got to be careful about who you support. You know, I have a I have a friend who just like Elon Musk can do no wrong. But then I had some years ago I had a I have I have another friend who was all about. Um, Trump even put together like a business plan he's gonna send to to Trump um and now he realizes what a piece of shit that motherfucker is but anyway um back to the show to this non-disclosure order which stated that Elon Musk and Twitter could not inform the target, of course, of the criminal investigation, Donald Trump, that this nah. had been served. So probably not, because Trump because can't keep Donald his Trump. mouth shut. If if Elon Musk told actually told him, that would been would have been a huge mistake, because Trump would have blabbed his mouth, and then Elon Musk would have gone to prison, so... My guess is he didn't tell Trump, even though he wanted to. 
could then potentially engage in more obstructive conduct. Well, Twitter missed the response deadline, and then on February 1 said that it was going to be challenging. They, uh, on did they scrub it? That's what I'm curious. Did, did Elon's Twitter scrub the information at all? That's what I want to know, because I looked at Trump's Twitter feed for January 6 a while back, and it was like, it was scrubs. It only said, and, you know, be peaceful out there. <laughs> uh, then Special Counsel Jack Smith went to the District Court Judge, again, District Court Judge is a Judge Beryl Howell, to get a contempt order against Elon Musk, and the judge granted it. A $50,000 per day, doubling each day. Elon Musk eventually complied um, with the uh, order after being found in contempt, after Twitter was found in contempt, not Elon personally, but Twitter, which is what, which is what it was called, and was found in contempt, um, and had to pay a fine of $350,000 for failing to timely comply with special counsel Jack Smith's subpoena for Trump's uh, Twitter activity and Twitter records. And so then um, Elon Musk and Twitter filed an appeal of the district court judge Beryl Howell's order. You appeal that to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. And then the order, which was just recently unsealed, um, but uh, it was argued on May 19th of 2023. It was decided July 18th of 2023, but only unsealed on Wednesday, August 9th of 2023. Uh, affirmed Judge Beryl Howell, the district court judge's order, um, and found that the contempt sanction uh, against Twitter for not turning over the records in a timely manner and asserting this First Amendment objection to the non-disclosure order um, was completely without merit and that the judge did not abuse her discretion in any way in uh, finding that Twitter was in contempt for what they did. Now, the judge, the D.C. Circuit Court judge who wrote the opinion, which was just unsealed, is Judge Florence Penn. She's joined by two other judges, Judge Childs and Judge Pillard. And Judge Pan, you may remember, we had some real good law and order judges here. Judge Florence Pan is the same D.C. Circuit Court judge who was very influential in the Court of Appeals decision, which basically held that the Department of Justice could utilize 18 U.S.C. Section 1512 C2, obstruction of official proceeding, against January 6th insurrectionists for their crimes because one of the Trump-appointed judges, Judge Carl Nichols, ruled that obstruction of official proceeding didn't apply unless an insurrectionist actually, like, shredded records and destroyed documents. So Judge Penn, influential in that other major decision, regarding 18 U.S.C. Section 1512 C2, which, by the way, was used in special counsel Jack Smith's most recent indictment against Donald Trump. So Judge Pan, this law and order judge, who made that important and very correct ruling, now affirmed Judge Beryl Howell, the D.C. District Court judge, 
um, and or yeah, the D.C. District Court Judge, Judge Beryl Howell, in the contempt order against Elon Musk. Let's pull up the order um, by the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. Here it is, Circuit Court Judge Kahn. And it says, the district court issued a search warrant in a criminal case directing appellant Twitter, Inc., Twitter, to produce information to the government related to the Twitter account at Real Donald Trump. The search warrant was served along with a non-disclosure order that prohibited Twitter from notifying anyone about the existence of contents of the warrant. Twitter initially delayed production of the materials required by the search warrant while it unsuccessfully litigated objections to the non-disclosure order. Although Twitter ultimately complied with the warrant, the company did not fully produce the requested information until three days after a court-ordered deadline. The district court thus held Twitter in contempt and imposed a $350,000 sanction for its delay. In this appeal, Twitter argues that the non-disclosure order violate the First Amendment and the Stored Communication Act, that the district court should have stayed its enforcement of the search warrant until after Twitter's objection to the non-disclosure order was resolved, and that the district court abused its discretion by holding Twitter in contempt and imposing sanctions. We affirm, meaning the district court, the Court of Appeals, affirms the district courts, we, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, affirm the district court in all respects. And so um, you have all of three of the D.C. Circuit Court judges agreeing with Judge Beryl Howell. You know, and uh, this is also one of the ways that MAGA Republicans have weaponized and incorrectly talk about what the First Amendment is. Jewelry is having a big moment right now, and with hundreds of products popping up in your feed every day, it can be hard to find a brand you trust. Alex and Ani has been creating meaningful jewelry for over 20 years, designing pieces right. that connect you with all of life's important oh, moments. Yes. Your personality, no, too. No, Each piece no, comes with a personal unconstitutional or not unconstitutional. And, you know, there is a strong presumption of First Amendment. They have a right to say and do anything. Nothing is criminal. If they say it, how could that be a crime? That's speech. And that is incorrect. There are certain limitations that are placed on speech. And depending on the type of conduct, courts use different levels of review um, to determine whether the, a restraint on speech is unconstitutional or not unconstitutional. And, you know, there is a strong presumption, of course, that a government should never be intervening in the free speech rights, even if it's hateful speech. But you can't commit crimes and then assert free speech. You can't not comply with a search warrant and then say, well, the reason that I'm not complying is, is free speech. That's why I'm not complying with a order issued by the judge and, and we're objecting to a non-disclosure order. You know, we see these arguments as well, of course, and this is what Donald Trump's lawyers, they uh, paraded out and did this media tour, which, by the way, I think is a violation of uh, state bar rules. I mean, you're, you're not supposed to do that in any case, what they did. There's certain levels of publicity that are appropriate, but them going and doing these interviews and spreading these lies is, I believe, deeply problematic. Um, but what the common refrain is, 
from Trump's lawyers is free speech, free speech. This is just a free speech issue. Donald Trump, he would, even when he was saying he was going to overthrow the uh, 2020 election, he had a free speech right to say that. By the way, um, Special Counsel Jack Smith addresses that in the indictment. The most recent indictment, Special Counsel Jack Smith says, look, Donald Trump did have a free speech right to even lie to the American people, but when Donald Trump then used that speech and weaponized it and engaged in a criminal conspiracy to overthrow the election and to take away people's votes and to turn Biden votes into Trump votes, that's a crime. That's a crime. It's the same way if you, you know, uh, harass and threaten people. Yes, you're using words, but that's a crime. If you go plot a conspiracy to rob a bank, um, that is a that is a crime. You know, one thing that Special Counsel Jack Smith doesn't say in his um, uh, indictment, but I think it's a great argument, and, and, I, and I've been thinking about this more, and I think uh, also Chris Christie made a very similar point. One of the Republican nominees who actually is uh, for president is actually um, forcefully going after Trump, and, and rightfully so. So Trump's defense is that he violated his oath of office. Like Trump's defense and his lawyers are, well, yeah, he had a free speech right to say those things, to violate his oath. So even their defense is that he's violating his oath of office. But here's a point that I want to make. If you go to the reply brief that was recently filed um, by special counsel Jack Smith, because Trump doesn't want, it's very similar to what Elon Musk was doing there. Trump doesn't want the standard criminal protective order that gets issued in federal criminal cases, and that has been issued in all the January 6th cases. Why? Trump's lawyers are like, well, it's free speech. We want to have it. And Special Counsel Jack Smith is like, no, this is a criminal case. This is a criminal case. And in criminal cases, you have the right to a fair trial. You have the right to an impartial jury. You don't have the right to go take grand jury information and disclose it during interviews and go on a media tour. And the Supreme Court has also said that you don't have that right. And here, if you go to footnote two in the recent reply that Special Counsel Jack Smith filed, it's very similar to the court order I just read you by the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals in holding Twitter in contempt. This is what Special Counsel Jack Smith put in a footnote. The defendant, Trump, contends that strict scrutiny should apply to the review of a protective order. The Supreme Court has stated otherwise. And this is what the Supreme Court said. It's significant to note that an order prohibiting dissemination of discovered information before trial is not the kind of classic prior restraint that requires exacting First Amendment scrutiny. And what that means is that exacting First Amendment scrutiny in order to restrict speech is required. You know, there, there has to be this compelling interest with the least kind of interference with speech and you have to show an overwhelming compelling interest, that's kind of a strict scrutiny analysis. But when you're dealing with criminal cases and criminal proceedings and investigating crimes, you don't you apply a strict scrutiny standard. And, and the Supreme Court precedent was always clearly against what Elon Musk uh, uh, was arguing or what Twitter was arguing in their decision not to turn over these records. So again, you see special counsel Jack Smith's move though, you know, you know, he, he contacts Twitter like right away in January 2023, January 17th to be exact. Twitter, you know, it's, if you go through the the order even more, you'll see that Twitter 
couldn't even find out who to respond to because, like, there's like, where's even the legal department? Then, uh, you know, and then they don't respond, but they, they blow the deadline. Boom. He's in court right in front of Judge Beryl Howell. Judge Beryl Howell order them to turn it over. They go, oh, we want to object. Hold them in contempt. Judge Beryl Howell holds them in contempt. And that's how special counsel Jack Smith has moved, as aggressively as you can move. But you see all the efforts by the kind of MAGA world to try to delay, 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 and block it. But Jack Smith has just lasered in. Really, really big. I'm Ben Marcellus from the Midas Touch Network. Hit subscribe. We're on our way to 1.5 million subscribers. Thanks to your support. Check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. Wherever you get audio podcasts, subscribe to the Midas Touch podcast. Then have an excellent day. Hey, Midas Mighty. Love this report? Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram. At Midas Touch. She don't need no Instagram. She what just did this Instagram. He's not ready. About 10 more minutes and then we can hear live modest touch. Notify me. Trump makes new threats against federal judge in criminal case. Let's fucking lock him up. You don't need any more fucking incriminating evidence. Motherfuckers. I woke up this morning. Donald Trump trying to get rid of Judge Tanya Chutkin, District Court Judge in the D.C. Circuit, who is the now presiding judge over all things Donald Trump and the new indictment since Tuesday. Of course he wants to get rid of Tanya Chutkin. She's one of the most formidable powerhouse judges on that bench. She's a likely future Supreme Court shortlister. Um, she's that amazing and that talented, that was that well-respected. And Donald Trump doesn't like two things, one we've reported on and one we haven't, because it just happened this morning. He wants um, he wants to get out of the District of Columbia. He doesn't want that to be the venue. He says, there's no way I can get a fair trial there. To quote him, it's 95% anti-Trump. He's wrong in the math. Uh, Joe Biden won the District of Columbia 92% to 4% to Trump. So if anything, it's 92% anti-Trump. But be that as it may, that's not the standard under the U.S. Constitution of the Sixth Amendment for whether you can get a fair trial. And 200 other Jan 6th insurrectionist conspiracy participants have all gotten a fair trial at, in D.C. and Donald Trump will too. So that attempt to change venue, that's dead. Now, since he can't change venue, let's get rid of the judge. By the way, I'm not sure why he even wants to try to get rid of the judge. There are actually worse judges for him than, than Tanya Judkin. I can name about six of them. And when I say worse, I mean in their sentencing of Jan 6th um, insurrectionists and defendants. And each one of these judges has had anywhere between 20 and 40 uh, cases assigned to them. All of them. There's not a judge on the D.C bench that hasn't been touched by either doing a bench trial, presiding over a jury trial, or doing sentencing. And if you read the sentencing orders of some judges, Donald Trump should be lucky in counting his stars and lighting candles that he didn't get these judges assigned to them, because they took shots and criticism at Donald Trump in their own writings. For instance, just going through the list, if I were Donald Trump, and he lost because of his own stupid motion for recusal, which I'm going to talk about the grounds and how you disqualify a judge and why they're not present here. Um, he could end up with Judge Mehta, Judge Mehta, who has gone out of his way in sentencing um, the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers to 
attack Donald Trump, say Donald Trump was responsible, and they fought, they fought, uh, followed the siren call of their cult leader, Donald Trump. Amy Berman Jackson, who not only criticized Donald Trump um, in her sentencing, but actually put on a robe and went down and sat in the galley to watch the arraignment on Tuesday with a few other of her federal judge friends. Judge Chuck Dean was not one of them. But I wouldn't, if I were Donald Trump, I wouldn't want Amy Berman Jackson. I wouldn't want Beryl Howell, the former chief judge of, the, of that bench that was responsible until about nine months ago for everything related to the grand jury process and supervised the grand juries that led to the search warrants at Mar-a-Lago, that led to, um, that led to uh, witnesses, that attorneys of Donald Trump being stripped of attorney-client privilege like Evan Corcoran. And she's currently presiding over the case of Ruby Freeman and Shane Moss for defamation against Rudy Giuliani. So I wouldn't want Beryl Howell if I were him. I'm not sure I'd want Randy Moss as a judge either, or Dabney Friedrich, or um, any any of them. I, I could say, even say Royce Lambert I wouldn't want. So he should be happy that he got such a straight shooter, law and order, like Tanya Chuck did. But no, Donald Trump says he has, according to, we'll put it up, according to his, his, his very important, self-important social media posting today, he said we have powerful grounds, powerful grounds to remove Tanya Chuck did, and she knows it. Well, everybody's probably now leaning in on my hot take, like, okay, Popak, what are the powerful grounds? Must be something amazing. What, what did she do? Now, let me first tell you what the standard is. To remove a judge like Tanya Junkin, or any federal judge. A judge who got confirmed 95 to 0 in 2014 when she was nominated by Obama. Right? A judge who tried over 45 cases as a trial lawyer, including as a public defender, including as a, uh, a white-collar criminal defense lawyer and work and a partner at a major firm. She had tremendous skills before she got on the bench, and now she's been on the bench for the last eight or nine years, and she's tried hundreds of cases have been tried in front of her. Compare that to Eileen Cannon, who tried four cases in total before she hit the bench, and has only had four cases totaling 14 days in front of her since she's been on the bench. Just to show you what we're comparing here, apples and bowling balls. So in order to recuse a judge, to disqualify a judge, have the judge stop presiding over your case, you have to follow a statute, a federal statute, and it's 28 U.S.C. 455 little a. And that basically says, and I'll tell you who makes the ultimate decision, first decision, last decision, the judge themselves. And that judge has to decide that their impartiality may be reasonably questioned. And in order to do that, Donald Trump would have to point to not the recent rulings, like in the last two days in which Tanya Judkin said the following, we're doing a hearing on August the 28th and everybody needs to be prepared to discuss the trial date. I'm setting the trial in this case on August 28th. Of course, Donald Trump doesn't like that. He wants the trial date to be set never. He wants the trial to be set never. Um, he, I'm sure Donald Trump didn't like the fact that just yesterday, in less than 24 hours, he got two bad rulings from Judge Chutkin, in which first she said to With the Prize app, you can always save big on your favorites with personalized coupons and deals, so you can spend less and get more. Download the Prize app today and get savings designed with you in mind. Prize, yeah, fresh off. for everyone. Oh, man. What the Prize app?
Damn it! Damn it! Fucking ad. No ads. Ad rulings from Judge Chuck Kim, in which first she said to Donald Trump, "You are to respond to the government's motion for protective order and proposed protective order and gag order against you." Dot dot dot. Especially in light of your social media posting attacking the prosecutor with with mafia language, like you're coming after me, I'm coming after you. Judges don't like those kind of things, especially federal judges who wear a black robe and have lifetime appointment. And when Donald Trump said, Monday doesn't work for me, judge, I can't get back to you on Monday. How's your Thursday? How's your Thursday to get back to you? And maybe we should get in the courtroom and talk about it. And the judge says an hour later, just yesterday, I don't know what part of Monday at 5 p.m. for your response you missed, but that's my ruling. And I don't know. I don't think we need a hearing. I'll take a look. Once you, whenever you submit, I'll take a look at it. Monday, 5 p.m. And so I'm sure he hasn't liked that, but they, that under 455A of the recusal statute cannot form the basis of your grounds to disqualify. Things that happen in the case, you don't like the rulings, you don't like, you know, the, the procedure, the logistics, you know, that's been going on. That, that can't be it. It's got to be something from outside the case that indicates somewhere in her past that she has in her DNA, in her DNA, in her soul, in the fiber of her being, a bias against Donald Trump that means her impartiality can be questioned. And let me tell everybody and cut to the chase. There is nothing in Tanya Chutkin's background record, prior rulings against Donald Trump, or prior rulings where she sentenced over 40 of the Jan 6 defendants that indicates that Donald Trump can't get a fair shake in front of her, and that is the standard. So all of this... You know, stuff that's done for an audience that's not the one that's watching me on the Midas Touch Network on YouTube. A different audience for Donald Trump, a fantasy, magical thinking audience that, that's not following reality and is not fact-based like the law is. The law is rooted in fact and precedent and case law and standards. Donald Trump is not. Now, Donald Trump can say anything he wants in a social media post and then have his lackeys and proxies follow right behind that with talking points and palm cards and index cards that say the exact same thing in their echo chamber, but it doesn't make it so. It doesn't make it true. Okay? We've looked at, I've looked at the rulings by Judge Chutkin against Donald Trump involving the Chan 6 committee and, the, and, and that decision being confirmed, right? being supported by the U.S. Supreme Court 8 to 1. I've looked at her sentencing of the people in front of her in Jan 6. And, and even though she criticized heavily and has an opinion well-formed from evidence being presented in front of her about what happened on January 6, that doesn't mean that Donald Trump can't get a fair shake. Remember that in the case that's now in front of her, Jack Smith has not made a crime claim against Donald Trump, hasn't charged him with a criminal claim or count based on him starting the fire on Jan 6. The claim is that in the conspiracy that he, Mark Meadows, uh, Steve Bannon, Flynn, Giuliani, and others used the fact that Jan 6 had turned over and spilled over into an insurrection and an attack on our democracy as further cover for them to stop the peaceful transfer of power. It's different than what was in the John 6 analysis and reporting. That's how Jack Smith's coming. So the fact that Tanya Chutkin has an opinion 
that's based on facts that were presented in her courtroom about what happened on Jan 6th itself is not going to be grounds proper to have her recuse herself or any other of the federal judges that heard the 200 or more cases that have already been tried and the other eight or 900 that are in the pipeline. The fact that Tanya Chutkin in one of her comments at Jan 6 said about Jan 6, and I quote, it was an attempt at a violent mob to prevent the orderly um, transfer of power from one administration to the next, right? And they soiled and, de, uh, and uh, defamed the halls of Congress, right? And her continued comment that the country is waiting to see what the consequences are of that, and there has to be consequences. That doesn't mean that in a different case with a different set of facts, that where she's not even the ultimate trier of fact, the jury is that he can't get a fair trial in front of her. And even if he doesn't like the result, and I assure you, he will brief, he will file a motion, because he says he's going to, to seek her recusal. In the meantime, it doesn't mean that she has to stop everything while this is being considered. She can continue to rule, right? Now, she'll take it out of turn. She'll ask for full briefing in a short amount of time. And within two or three weeks, it'll be fully briefed and she'll make her ruling sometime in September. Not going to delay things here. She's going to set that trial in August. In some circumstances, the filing of a motion to disqualify or accuse divests the judge of further ability to operate the case, but not at the federal level. The filing is just another motion that needs to be considered. And in the meantime, other things can be decided. So it's not going to have the desired effect by Donald Trump to knock the wheels off the cart to stop justice from rolling down the track. But she's going to have to deal with it in a serious, sober fashion, which we know she will. If he doesn't like the result, and he's not going to, she's not going to recuse herself, um, then he's going to have to take it to the D.C. Court of Appeals, which has not been a friendly place for him. He's lost time and time again before the three-judge appellate panel that is there, which has primarily been appointed by Democratic uh, presidents like Biden and um, Obama and even some Clinton. And it's a three-judge panel, and if they don't like the three-judge panel result, they have to go to the U.S. Supreme Court. A U.S. Supreme Court that's already sided with Judge Chutkin on another matter, eight to one. So she's very well respected and regarded at the Supreme Court level. A MAGA Supreme Court right wing that even on presidential issues of Donald Trump often does not side with him. In other words, he doesn't have the votes. He can't count to five when it comes to these crazy crackpot theories that he's got to move the case out of D.C. and he needs a new, and he needs a new um, judge. But I've already said at the top of the hot take, I'm not sure... That helps him. To use the old, the old phrase, the old uh, comment, he may be jumping out of the frying pan into the fire if he, lose, if he loses uh, Chutkin. Suppose she says, all right, you know what, I'm out. I've seen federal judges do this. We had a federal judge in, in Florida, the Northern District, that had a very attenuated connection to Disney. He had a relative that like owns like two shares of stock, and he was like, yeah, I'm out. I'm not going to handle the Disney versus DeSantis case. But I don't see this happening with Tanya Chutkin. She has a responsibility to democracy and to justice, to stay in the case and not just run, run high and run tail. 
if somebody just throws up a challenge, as Donald Trump has done time and time again. He didn't like Judge Middlebrooks down in the Southern District of Florida, who was a Clinton appointee handling the case that he ultimately lost badly and was sanctioned over a million dollars, where he sued Hillary Clinton and the and the whole Democratic National Committee and all of its committee people because of the quote-unquote Russia hoax, right? Trying to weaponize the Durham report. Didn't like that judge, moves to disqualify. Didn't like the judge up in New York who's handling the Stormy Daniels hush, hush money business record fraud case. Judge Mershon moves to disqualify him, that gets denied. Right? Whenever he doesn't like the judge, if, and that's guaranteed if it's a Democratic appointed judge, he's going to move to disqualify, and he's lost every every time. Tiny Chutkin is another example of a, and I'll just say it out loud, a strong black female prosecutor or lawyer going after Donald Trump, and Donald Trump doesn't like it. Starting with Letitia James, New York Attorney General, in her $250 million civil fraud disgorgement case, which could get the death penalty to all the Trump, all the Trump uh, executives, except for, I think, Ivanka, who got out of the case, and the death penalty for his uh, companies, financial death penalty. Doesn't like that. Phony Willis, uh, district attorney, Fulton County, Atlanta, Georgia. Doesn't like her, calls her an activist prosecutor. That just means she was elected democratically by um, the voters of her county to be the district attorney, which is what you're supposed to do. Alvin Bragg, um, not, <laughs> not a black female, but Alvin Bragg, right? Prosecutor, Manhattan DA, he's an activist, a prosecutor, is going after Donald Trump. He doesn't like the fact that Democratic voters elected Alvin Bragg. Now you've got Tanya Chutkin. So we're going we're to continue to follow this on hot takes just like this one in only one place, the Midas Touch Network. You can find us here, free subscribe, I'm the Midas Touch Network, and you can get all of my content here, one place. Go to Playlist, look for Michael Popak, and there it is. Or I'll give you an even easier place. Go to a new website that Midas Touch just launched, www.midastouch.com, and just hang out there for everything about law and politics and the intersection of U.S. law and politics. You'll find our hot takes there. You'll find our podcast there and all the content and writing that we've been doing as well to support the network and the movement. And then every Wednesday and Saturday, we pull it all together. If you like these hot takes, you're going to love our podcast. Full length, one hour, sometimes an hour and a half uh, podcast, five or six stories at the intersection of law and politics. I co-anchor co it on Wednesdays and on Saturdays. And you can follow me. Okay, they're live right now. So we're going to go there. Live, he's not ready. Trump can't handle the heat. Oh, Oh, no, thank you, old man. Yeah, corporate, no more corporate Democrats for me. On the street with my microphone standing over a garbage can. You know, stuff like that. Because we, because I think it's because everyone who does it is authentically mission-driven to preserve our country and our democracy. This isn't about business. It's not. We're not corporate with all these, you know, corporate kind of, you know other other concerns you know like uh um money <laughs> or, 
you know, we're, we're all about uh, getting about permission. And I think that that's partly why people come to us because, and they see we're authentic, right? You're standing, you were, you were reporting live on the street from Atlanta. You, you, you looked so professional. Meanwhile, you had your laptop sitting on top of a garbage can, right? So that you could record, you know, so you could record for, for, um, yeah, that was on top of a garbage can, right? Let's take a photo. Time, yeah. Well, <laughs> And you know, how many times have we been interrupted by my family or my dog or your dog yeah. or you know, Boogie, whatever? Like, because we're authentic, right? We're not this. You know, we're, we're just doing the best we can to get. I said, mighty, um, mighty, call. DOJ two hundred two five one four two thousand demand Trump disqualified now, and charge remove disqualified GOP traitors from Gen Six insurrection. Christopher Perez. Trump for prison. Message across. Against we pull up. In County, Georgia, DA Fonnie Willis prepares to have her hard-working three-week-old grand jury return a criminal indictment against, we presume, Trump and others for election interference conspiracy, and it's likely coming at the top of next week. Okay, I'm posting this on Twitter. Oops, Midas. Uh, oh fuck! My touch live right now. Okay. <laughs> Can't handle the heat of even more. In Chambly, Georgia, because I went to a Waffle House. <laughs> there are not. Okay, come on. I, Bears to have her hard-working three-week-old grand jury return a criminal <coughs> indictment against, nah. we presume, Trump nah. and others for election interference conspiracy. Rico racketeering Just yesterday, reporting on developments in the case, including two possible new witnesses. What will the shape and contours of the indictment look like? Surgical, like Jack Smith's, or more expansive and sprawling with multiple defendants and counts? And she seemed pretty coy about communicating with special counsel Jack Smith's office about their respective cases in a recent interview. What does all this mean as two separate prosecutors work to whipsaw one criminal defendant named Trump? Then Jack Smith's team continues to battle over getting a protective order and ultimately gag order in place against Trump and his counsel in front of D.C. federal judge Tanya Chutkin to stop them from continuing to violate the local criminal rules about out-of-court statements, about evidence, and potential witnesses. Judge set a hearing for this Friday, now that there's been full-blown briefing on the issue. And of course, Trump and his counsel are taking advantage of the delay and calling the indictment, among other things, bullshit and other inelegant attacks on witness credibility and the evidence. Hasn't Trump already violated the conditions of his release from custody? And hasn't at least John Lauro already violated the local criminal rules governing out-of-court statements? And what will Judge Chutkin do about it all? Speaking of Jack Smith, the work of his grand juries and team of investigators and prosecutors is not over. They didn't put up a going-out-of-business sign when they issued the indictment. New witnesses and new cooperating witnesses are meeting the team and giving grand jury testimony, including Bernie Carrick, who worked for Rudy Giuliani and ultimately for Donald Trump. As the DOJ focuses on the as-of-yet unindicted co-conspirators, one through six, and others, potentially 
Donald Trump again to bring new indictments. And what about Mark Meadows' disappearance from view and bare mention in the indictment? What could that mean? And Jack Smith is working with a new piece of key missing link evidence that even the Jan 6 committee didn't have, a December 2020 legal memo created by, I call them Ocons, co-conspirator number five, and Jeesboro. He shared it with Giuliani, Eastman, Powell, Trump, and others, in which he lays out in vivid detail that even he didn't believe that Pence had the power to reject the actual electoral votes and accept the fake ones, that this phony approach would continue to buy time for Trump to steal the election. And Cheeseboro, along with John Eastman, are clearly the mad political scientists who implemented Trump's plan, not just to delay for delay's sake, but to steal the election from the American people. Or to paraphrase Trump, he did it against you, not for you, and he's being indicted because of it. Finally, we have yet another data point prior to the national 2024 elections that the voters in each state are rebelling against the GOP and MAGA and their attempts to shove undemocratic policies down their throats, especially those that disenfranchise and undermine the right to vote and the people to petition. Latest example, Ohio, where Republican legislators tried to implement a part of a national strategy of making it almost impossible for the people, as in we the people, to effect change through ballot initiatives and constitutional amendments. Knowing that the Democrats and progressives were about to put on the November ballot the initiative to secure a woman's right to choose and have bodily autonomy with a state constitutional right to choose, Ohio, Ohio MAGA tried to slip through an off-election year initiative of issue one to increase the voter percentage required to amend the state's constitution to 60% and increase the number of voters necessary to even get the proposed amendment on the ballot. What happened? And what does it mean for November's abortion rights bill in Ohio and those throughout the country? All this and so much more that we haven't even planned or talked about in advance. On the midweek edition of Legal AF Podcast, only on the Midas Touch Network, with your regular co-anchors, Michael Popak and Karen Friedman at Niffalo, KFA, since the last time I saw you, just last Wednesday, you did an amazing interview and special Legal AF episode with former Republican House member Adam Enziker about the January 6th committee and hearings and what he thinks about Jack Smith's indictment so far. And I did remote reporting from the steps of the Fulton County Courthouse in Atlanta, putting my ear to the ground about the upcoming indictment. And we have day jobs as practicing trial attorneys. What a week so far, Karen, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Yeah, we've been super busy. I wrote that op-ed too when we launched our new Midas Touch website that looks amazing, by the way. And the op-ed has been has reached far and wide and I think we have close to 3 million reads so far, or views of it. So I feel pretty good about that. I think it's we're, we're reaching a wide audience in our attempt to try and uh, preserve our democracy. And uh, Congressman Kinzinger, that's what his whole message was about. It was uh, 
all about how you put you put um, your country first over your party and over anything else because if, if your country, if your democracy, if you don't have that, you have nothing to debate about or disagree about or any, any of those things. And so I think there's a lot of people who are self-included, obviously, who are who are trying to um, help get this message across and all the people who are reading our what we're writing and watching all our 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 episodes and our hot takes, you know, that's, that's how we get the message out there. So it's been, it's been pretty, pretty great. And we've been busy, took, but it's worth it. You know, I took one look at your, your, um, editorial that you wrote for the new website, uh, which you, I think you whipped up in an hour or two. And I said, if this is the standard of the quality of writing that we are required to put together for this website, I'm out. I cannot, <laughs> I thought it was so good. And the second comment I had in my head was, you know who doesn't have three million views? New York Times, Washington Post of articles. The fact that the Midas Mighty and the Midas Network and the movement is is now latched on to a website that three weeks ago didn't even exist and now is becoming the number one news, news source for, for law, politics, and those at that intersection. It's just incredible. And... And they're coming for content, like you know, your writing and the, the, you know, the crap I do on the street with my microphone standing over a garbage can, you know, stuff like that. But we have, uh, I think it's because everyone who does it is authentically mission-driven to preserve our country and our democracy. This isn't about a business. It's not. We're not corporate with all these, you know, corporate kind of, you know, other other concerns, you know, like. Uh, um, money <laughs> or profit, you know, we're, we're all about uh, getting about the mission. And I think that that's partly why people come to us because, and they see we're authentic, right? You're standing, you were, you were reporting live on the street from Atlanta. You, you had, you looked so professional. Meanwhile, you had your laptop sitting on top of a garbage can, right? So that you could record you know, so you could record for, for um, yeah, that was on top of a garbage can, right? Let's and pick a photo. Time, yeah, well, and you know, how many times have we been interrupted by my family or my dog or your dog yeah. or, you know, Boogie, whatever, like, because we're authentic, right? We're not this, you know, we're, we're just doing the best we can to get the message across. And, you know, I think people see that and they know that we're, we're, you know, I'll tell you the other thing that's been pretty cool is I've been getting a lot, and you too, a lot of feedback from people, emails, um, not just, you know, we've always gotten lots of comments in the live chat as well as in, um, you know, the Twitter or X or whatever it is in the comment section. And, you know, I don't know if people realize this, but I read almost all of them I try. And part of it is because I really appreciate people who take the time to actually comment. And a lot of people give really constructive feedback. You know, there are people who are telling me that, oh, you know, it was really good that you asked this question, but maybe next time you should ask this other question. And, and I think it's I think it's great that people are, are so engaged in, in what we're doing and also giving us a, you know, maybe talk about this or maybe answer this question. Or, you know, I, I just think the, the level of engagement that uh, all the people who are equally involved in this movement with us uh, are really, it just, it makes it, you, you feel like you're part of, at least I feel like I'm a part of something really important. Well, I got a shout out from Miss Barbara from Chambly, Georgia, because I went to a Waffle House. <laughs> They're not a sponsor. Uh, on the way to do some coverage of Fulton County, and she is a huge Midas Mighty and Legal AF fan. She sat at a booth 
across from me and then finally had the courage to yell out, I know you, you're Popak, and it just went from there. And uh, she is a lovely, a lovely woman, and she's keeping up the good fight for democracy in Georgia. And it was so great because, you know, we spend so much time talking to a computer screen. We talk to each other, but talking, especially the hot takes, like just, just sitting in a room by ourselves with a microphone. And to, to be able to actually meet live people that we, that, that are part of, that are on the same journey that we're on or we're sharing a journey. Was, I can't tell you how heartwarming it was to meet her. I, for her, she felt like I'd stepped off the television and walked into her living room. For me, I was like, I just love meeting the people that we're touching because, you, you know, all we get really is the comments and numbers. You know, we sort of generally know how we think we're doing, but, but the human touch is always so great. Let's stay in Georgia. Let's stay in Georgia and kick off the Legal AF podcast today and talk about what we are hearing about the indictment. The good news is we've been talking about imminent indictment since March, uh, maybe a poorly choice of words, but everything else about Fawny Willis, I call her full steam ahead, Fawny Willis, has been, she's told us where she is going to go, how long it's going to take her to get there, and then right on time that train arrives. For instance, pardon me, she said early on, I'm going to impanel and ask for a special purpose grand jury to assist me in making the ultimate decision whether to indict. And she did. And then she said, I'm going to keep it in place for about seven months or so. And then when it's over, I'm going to listen to its recommendation and make a decision from that. And she did right on time. And then there was that gap that we all sort of ridiculed, not ridiculed, that's too strong of a word. We sort of made fun of her that from March until she got the new grand jury up and running, it seemed like it was an inordinate path. Plus, we were watching Jack Smith sort of move his cases along at a very high velocity. And we thought she maybe she wasn't. And, and I gave her, and I think you did too as a former prosecutor, I gave her a little bit more credit than that because she wasn't just going to take the special purpose grand jury's recommendations about their counts and the crimes and not make a continue to develop more evidence to strengthen some parts of her case and even consider more uh, crimes that the, that she didn't even have the information at that moment to present to them before she went into her final grand jury or indicting grand jury to walk out with her indictment. So I didn't really, the March, June, July, I didn't really care. So now she's got 23 people, Fulton County, Fultonians, who are the grand jury for all things Georgia election interference. And this is a many headed hydra right in georgia it's not just although we love talking about it because it's such the clearest example of donald trump's interference in crimes but it's not just the phone call with mark meadows to brad raffensperger to, to try to throw away almost twelve thousand votes and turn the election for donald trump it's not just that it's mark meadows going to georgia and meeting with elected election officials on the ground to try to get outcome it's it's rudy giuliani and the other lawyers both conducting phony legislative hearings that weren't hearings and or filing lawsuits that all that all ended up in the trash bin and, and to try to stop the election and the use of fake electors in Georgia, the coordination through the White House with uh, at least um, one or all six of the unindicted co-conspirators listed in the indictment, including Boris Epstein. It's all of that. And then how Georgia fit in to the other six battleground states and, and how she's looking at those things. And she told us, she told us six weeks ago, seven weeks ago, that she wanted the streets of Fulton County, and I was there yesterday, and they are cleared, 
cleared of, uh, during this exact time period, starting on Monday. There's some footage that I shot while I was there. We call that the B-roll of the business. I didn't even know what the business was until I joined the Midas Touch Network, but I shot some B-roll. There it is. And it is dead. It is desolate there because 70% of her staff and that of courtroom personnel and that of the state house, which is across the street, have all listened to Judge Batty, uh, I'm sorry, Sheriff Batty and State Hope, along with the chief judge who came out. And so there's not a lot of people on the street. And there's a couple, of, a couple of courtroom proceedings going on. And of course, the grand jury. The 23 grand jurors ultimately have to vote and get, they have to count to 12. She has to get 12 people to agree with her to indict. And from what we're hearing about some remaining witnesses that she's trying to wrap up and the way subpoenas have been issued, it, all things that I heard on the ground and I was asking people and things that ABC News is reporting, looks like Tuesday indictment unsealed thereafter and then we're off and running with talking about Georgia law as it relates to arrest, surrender, arrest, arraignment, and release. What What do you think? You, you think it's going to be? Do you think it's this week or next week? And what do you, I want you to talk about first the contours of what you because you're such a good predictor about indictments. Well, what do you think this indictment looks like in terms of the number of defendants besides Donald Trump and the and the counts that you think she'll be inserting within that as she reaches as she reaches her indictment decision. So let's just say I was supposed to be on vacation next week and I was going to be out of the city and I have now changed my vacation so that I will be in the city because I think it's almost certain that it's going to be next week on Tuesday. And your Wi-Fi um, sucked upstate. Well, no, yeah, well, um, that's true. But, you know, I recently, I think I, I think I fixed that problem recently, but that's a whole other story. Um, but, yeah, so I think it's next week. That's what everybody is, is suggesting. And, and all evidence, as you say, including the empty streets, the closed off court, uh, court building, the staff being home for this period of time, and the days we know that the grand jury meets, I think it's a pretty good guess that it's next Monday or Tuesday, probably Tuesday. Um, and just, you know, what do I think it's going to be? I mean, we, we do know that there's a couple of people who are testifying next week. It's uh, the former Lieutenant Governor uh, from Georgia, Jeff Duncan, as well as an independent journalist, George Cheedy. And they both testified before the special purpose grand jury. She's choosing to bring them in. And I, what, what I'm wondering is whether she's had any witnesses really go into the grand jury yet, because uh, she's been assembling the grand jury. They've been voting on other cases. There's been reporting about that. And it's possible, because hearsay is allowed in Georgia, that she's, it, without a doubt, she has her indictment written ahead of time, because that's, that's how prosecutors do it. You write the indictment ahead of time, and then you ask the grand jury to vote on the indictment. Uh, they don't usually, and if they and if they don't vote on certain charges, then you would just go back to your computer and you would omit those charges or you know, change it if, if there are any changes. But you do write it in advance and you have them react to a set of charges that you ask them to vote on. And again, the, the indictment is pre-written. So, so one question I have is because there's hearsay a lot in this grand jury, maybe they will have somebody read in the 
relevant portions of the special purpose grand jury because if you recall or everybody recalls there was a special purpose grand jury that met and uh they aren't allowed to indict in georgia it's sort of a quirk of georgia they were only allowed to investigate and make recommendations we don't know exactly what those recommendations were that they made despite the fact that uh, the grand jury foreperson uh, strongly hinted and suggested that they there would be no surprises and that there that they did recommend charges against people and, and the obvious people that that we all think it would be and so she had she had gathered all of that evidence from all of the witnesses who testified there and she doesn't have to recall those witnesses live to her grand jury she can either summarize what they said or she can read from the uh from the the transcripts of what they said, and she can present the elements of that, the aspects of it that she needs to uh, get an indictment, which is a reasonable cause to believe or probable cause to believe that a crime occurred. And so she'll do that. She's not going to want to recall many of the witnesses because you don't want to create two different um, transcripts, right? What if there's like a little mistake or if they testify slightly differently? You're now building a record that can be used at cross-examination at trial.